Hello, and welcome to the Canopy Boulder Cannabis Business Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of entrepreneurship and investing in the legal cannabis industry. Each week, we'll give you our perspective on the latest news in the industry, bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry pros, and also go deeper on topics like launching a business, building a team, pitching investors, and setting a fair valuation. Now, why would we take on such a challenge? Well, since we launched our cannabis-focused business accelerator and venture fund in 2013, we've made over 110 investments into 90 companies in the legal cannabis industry. And we want to share our experiences and learnings with you. So join us every week as we take a deeper look into the legal cannabis industry and uncover the nuances and subtlety of starting up and investing in cannabis. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Canopy Boulder Cannabis Business Podcast. Today is the last part of our three-part series where we're recapping our Jumpstart Conference from a few weeks ago. So if you're tuning in, this is the first episode you've heard. You might want to go back a couple episodes um, and check out the last two as well, although they aren't sequential, so you can listen to them in whatever order you want. Um, But today we are going to recap the keynote speech that was given at our Jumpstart Conference, which, uh, as you know, is a conference we do for cannabis industry professionals and sort of the cannabis curious and anyone in between. Um, So today, uh, like I said, we're recapping our keynote speech, which was given by Dominique Mendiola, who's currently the Director of Marijuana Coordination for the state of Colorado and uh, who was appointed by Governor Hickenlooper last year. So um, she has a lot of really good sort of things to talk about around the regulatory environment and sort of cannabis from a governmental perspective. And here with me today to kind of break it down is Kate Awada, who is a bit of a compliance guru. She has a compliance software called Azara Solutions. She's a Canopy Boulder alumni now. Now that the cohort is sort of freshly done, she's officially an alumni. And uh, she was also, Kate, you were at the event when we held the event. It was indeed. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So she's going to kind of give us her perspective a little bit on um, compliance and regulation as we break down some of Dominique's key points. So um, let's go ahead and jump into it. So, you know, I think I'll start with that, you know, this episode is going to be somewhat particular to Colorado, just because Dominique was the one giving the giving the address. Um, But, you know, Colorado is well known as being one of the most mature and sort of well organized cannabis systems at the moment, right? Well, it was one of the first, and I think one of the most sophisticated and, and over-regulated in the beginning as well, and they're definitely start making their mark in terms of the regulatory side of things, so it's extremely exciting to be a part of the Colorado, uh, you know, just watching it as it unfolds. Right, sure. Yeah, and I know, I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but the, um, you know, the East Coast is definitely coming online, and they're looking at regulations a little bit differently, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how things shake out in the next few years if Colorado 
stays kind of ahead of the pack or if maybe there's some things to learn from the East Coast? Absolutely. The East Coast is extremely sophisticated. It's very business oriented. It's certainly more fast paced and they've looked at the markets that have come online before and have done an extremely great job of kind of mirroring what has worked because you know what works what works. But they've also improved on a lot of things too and taken into consideration things like diversity plans and community engagement and things that were kind of overlooked but extremely important especially as you unroll something like cannabis that you know if you haven't had it in your home state before there's a lot of um, kind of turmoil surrounding and just a little bit of confusion and some misunderstanding. So, you know, education is a huge component of that and, you know, staying engaged with your community as well as um, your regulators, it's it's very, very important. So I am excited to see what the East Coast does. Me too. Um, okay, so, you know, I think one of uh, Dominique's main points uh, that kind of kept coming across to me was the importance of this collaboration, right? The importance of things you know, like, kind of like the Jumpstart Conference and other events similarly, um, where we're sort of bringing together, you know, the industry, um, the regulatory side of things, law enforcement, business, kind of everybody um, that participates and kind of sharing what's worked, what hasn't worked, um, maybe some best practices, that kind of a thing. Absolutely. I mean, it's hugely important for everybody to engage because everyone has a different perspective of what's going on. The regulators obviously are looking for things that could potentially cause diversion or end up with products, uh, you know, the health and safety of the communities, the children, the people that are involved and affected. Um, business owners obviously have to worry about their personal operations, how things will affect what they're doing internally, um, you know, the cost associated mm -hmm. with that as well. Um, so there's a multitude of different components that all make up this amazing industry of cannabis and it's not just the manufacturers, the retail, it's you know getting into consumption spaces and delivery and um, all the other multitude of ancillaries that have been created surrounding mm -hmm. this business as well. Sure. Yeah, so you know one of the things Dominique talked about was she really credited the success of Colorado as a national leader um, both in the industry and sort of regulatory Orally, is that a word? I don't know. Um, <laughs> she really credits that to the diverse set of viewpoints, right? Um, and and sort of talked about, you know, there may be this mindset that having too many voices muddies the waters or complicates things, but in reality, it's really been quite the opposite um, for them from their perspective. Yeah, you never know what is going to be said or brought up that you haven't thought of, especially if you're thinking very, you know, either logically or high-level view, whatever the case may be, it's mm -hmm. always nice to hear things that will essentially trigger additional thoughts and more things to go down those paths to determine, you know, what's the best route to tackle either issues or, um, you know, create more jobs or whatever the case may right. be. And it's really interesting to have seen the industry in its infancy where there really wasn't any of that. Everyone would joke that the enforcement division was just a guy sitting behind a camera looking at like a <laughs> hundred however many licensed views. But, um, you know, there were several groups that really pushed for this kind of communication to be broken down between the people running the businesses and the people creating the regulations. There's groups like Marijuana Industry Group was one of the first that brought business owners on the cannabis side in and then you know, to have a voice. And that has now stemmed user groups and other important places where you can really focus on here's a certain regulation or here's a certain aspect of operations that needs to either be you know, a little bit more regulated or a little less regulated, mm -hmm. just kind of depending. I mean, yep. testing's a huge part. That's definitely something that um, they're continuing to talk about, you know, the state tracking system. Mm -hmm. There's several things we're, you know, only in our, you know, like teenage years, <laughs> I suppose, of being in cannabis right now. So 
um, it is really, really great to have that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I think, you know, the other thing she talked about was the importance of having uh, how to guide good policy, right? So um, thinking about data research and what's going on out there, you know, in, in those different verticals and among those sort of different stakeholders and the research they're doing and the data that's coming up from that and allowing that to guide good policy, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think one of those studies, uh, which is a great study, if you guys haven't read it yet, I recommend go look it up and see some of the highlights. It's really interesting. But in October of last year, so 2018, the Colorado Department of Public Safety put out um, a state report on the impacts of legalization. And there's, there's a bunch of different stuff in there, but I think three of the takeaways that Dominique mentioned were um, that law enforcement and prosecutors are really focusing their energy and actively pursuing against illicit market activity. So that's, you know, that gray market. Um, and generally, organized crime cases have increased since 2010, which is um, interesting. I mean... I think it is interesting, but it kind of speaks to how cannabis is potentially overtaxed in a sense. Mm. So it's creating this black market and allowing for people to... Con Continue to fill their personal pockets rather than pay the state, which is, you know, in Colorado, it's like a 20% tax rate. I know mm -hmm. California recently is looking at reducing the amount of tax money to mitigate the issue that's being created for a black market level because, you know, it is a plan. It is something you can cultivate in your home. So it's relatively easy to take that and flip it. So when you have it so that any store you go into is more expensive than somebody growing it down the street, it's going to create that need. Sure. And I mean, I think federal prohibition, I'm sure, plays a part in that, right? I oh, mean, absolutely. I think a lot a lot of the problem with those, quote, gray markets is the exportation of Colorado cannabis to other states. Oh, um, it's a desirable product. Right. And the thing is, is that people use this medicinally. People use it to de-stress. People use it recreationally. So there's a multitude of reasons people would want this product. Mm -hmm. And so having states that aren't legal or having, you know, the inability to get it in certain areas in the United States, but still have it accessible in other it's really easy to put something in your car and then continue driving. And the problem is, is that it's hard to find that and it's hard to regulate it if you know, people are uneducated on what are the effects, what are the, uh, what is it doing to the community, which is why uh, reports like this are so important. It takes that information and allows people who are otherwise nervous because they don't have any basis for comparison to look at what's going on and make that educated decision to do that, not only for their state, but for their, um, you know, the children in yeah. their state. And do it for the children. Do it for the children, <laughs> I know. And that was, that's such a, a huge thing. I mean, there's so many things to consider and there's already things in place like the ASTM standards for ch childproof packaging and things that have been considered before cannabis was even mm -hmm. a thought. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there are certainly ways to protect the communities. There's ways to educate people and, and doing studies like this and showing how nobody's on fire everybody's sure. fine <laughs> yeah I mean I think that takes us to the other the other two points in that study that that she touched on which were um, the number of people involved in fatal car accidents that tested positive for the Delta 9 THC um, essentially were considered to be intoxicated with cannabis um, has fallen since legalization so that's interesting and then also that Colorado hasn't experienced a significant um, increase in youth usage right so 
it kind of goes back to what you were saying just a second ago. Absolutely. I mean, when you have something that's a little bit more on the mystic side, when there's a lure and there's this air of mystery surrounding it, it becomes more appealing at that point. And it kind of gets... Uh, most children, they see their parents do things and they think, oh, that's not cool. My parents do it. And so the more we educate, the more open we are, like, hey, yeah, I'm smoking a joint as opposed mm -hmm. to, hey, I'm having a glass of wine. Now, all of a sudden, it's not cool. You know, it's not one of those things that's maybe as appealing. You could wait. It's something to look forward to mm -hmm. when you turn 18 or 21 or whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. depending on if you're going to go for the medical, which is why I say 18, 21 and up <laughs> otherwise <laughs> on the adult use side. Um, but I think that it really kind of destigmatizes something that otherwise is mysterious mm -hmm. and people then are drawn to. So. Sure. Plus, I think, uh, you know, the random dude down the street who sells you weed isn't, isn't as concerned with your uh, identification as a, as a dispensary, right? So being able to regulate that. Um, so anyway, let's move to uh, another point of hers, which was kind of how business owners can enhance their operations sort of through compliance, right? Absolutely. Uh, I think that people have a, a, a misinterpretation of regulation. They think regulation, they think law, they think, you know, a big strong hammer coming down on them mm -hmm. in some manner. But really the regulations are, are ways to protect your business. I mean, take security, for example. You're legally required to have a camera system, to have a DVR system, have someone on site that is trained on it so they know how to utilize it map out exactly, you know, your ingresses, egresses, have an emergency plan, have standard operating mm -hmm. procedures. These things enhance your business. Mm -hmm. And they reduce the amount of cost later if you are affected in some way. And they allow for traceability within your operation. So mm -hmm. if something goes wrong, you can, you know, look back at the camera, see what's going on. Um, so it's really an added level of protection more so than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, this woman was talking about compliance as like a competitive advantage, right? And as we're moving into um, a more mature industry and, and mergers and acquisitions are becoming more, much more of a reality, the organizations that can kind of show a track record of compliance are going to be much more valuable, right, to buyers than, than ones that aren't. So in a way, it's like... It enhances everything. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. and that's the thing. I mean, if you want banking, there were um, in the banking standards outlined in the Cole Memorandum, certain things that you as a licensed entity could do in order to improve your um, chance of getting a bank account, which is essentially, you know, your business records and making sure that everything in your facility is secure. All of these things, if you can provide and prove and show that you're doing these things, are going to increase your chance of getting insurance, of getting a mm -hmm. bank account, of being able to actually operate as a legal business as opposed to just, you know, the mom and pop shop down the street that's just slinging bud because they want access to it or because right. they love it or it's, you know, part of their community, which is fine too. Mm -hmm. There's a multitude. But, you know, if you want to grow and it is getting very competitive, it's turning into an extremely competitive market with more companies having, um, you know, a strong brand and building that brand mm -hmm. and taking it to new markets. So um, it's certainly a competitive edge that you can have. Sure. Competition. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I know you, Kate, have have a lot of experience on sort of at every level of this industry. Um, and I, you know, people get, I guess it's a question for you more than a statement. Um, how nervous of investigations are people, right? I mean, Dominique mentioned it as being sort of an opportunity to face to face with the regulators, right, with the people that are kind of enforcing these laws and ask the questions. And is it is it a fear? Is it, you know, how to... Yeah, so it's fascinating to me because there's like 
two or three different types of people when it comes to getting audited by mm-hmm. a regulatory body. So there's the people that are the don't ask for permission, don't ask for forgiveness, and then there's the vice versa. And then there's the people that really think of it as business. So there is a lot of fear, but it's generally from the employee level, just you know, based on that lack of education or lack of information, they get really anxious. And even you know, getting into the state tracking system, sometimes they're um, hesitant to do anything, which actually causes more problems because they they're not comfortable and they don't want to say anything because they're worried that in some way, shape or form, they're either going to get fined, shut down, whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, it's very interesting when you work with people like that, trying to get them comfortable because the state's not scary. They're people like you and I, and they want us to succeed just as much because the state makes their money anytime they issue fines, licensing, um, badging as well, but they want, they have a vested interest in keeping you open. And so the people who work with the investigators and invite them in and, you know, say, hey, we're going to train you so that you understand exactly what's going on. Those are the people that are helping the industry move forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, more often than not, it's easy to get people to kind of come to that side once they've experienced it. But, you know, fear in your mind is always going to be the scariest thing that's ever going to befall you. Anything that you can Mm -hmm. fabricate in your mind is going to, you know, overdo whatever actually will happen. So. Um, you know, using your words, being open and honest, asking for permission and not forgiveness is definitely the way to go, especially if we want to see this industry be considered legitimate and mm-hmm. um, kind of move away from so much of the we're quote unquote regulated and more so we are just adhering to what any other business would have to do, mm-hmm. whether it's a food product being manufactured, making sure that people who are consuming it are safe all the way to, you know, a store that makes clothes, making mm-hmm. sure that those are things that, you know, fit the standards and are sure. applying to all regulations. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I think uh, it, it's also interesting, you know, Dominique mentioned how far being proactive can take you in being audited, right? Um, if regulators show up and they see that you sort of have already set up the SOPs, you have employee training programs, you know, you're you're doing your best to sort of um, head off any infractions before they happen. That really is something that is mitigating, right, in the Absolutely. way that they look at, you know, the repercussions of breaking the rules or whatever everything they look Mm -hmm. at the whole picture so if you're a company and you're just operating and you don't have sops in place and maybe no training program anything like that you're more likely to get stung for something and then continue they're going to continue to find things that are wrong so you have to remember that the regulators here in colorado specifically are all ex-law enforcement so they have the mentality of you know reckless driving careless driving we're going to get you for one and we're going to you know negotiate the other one away even though they're the exact same thing so the same thing happens when you get in trouble so if you have mitigating pieces in place like the responsible pro- vendor program for your butt tender is already taken and your um, like an ID class done if you get stung for some reason you've already taken the necessary steps as a business owner to make sure that you're educating your employees so you're gonna be not less at fault because no matter what it's you're the license holder you're responsible but they will take those into consideration mm-hmm. and potentially give you a slap on the wrist rather than going full-fledged into starting issuing uh, citations. Yeah. Well, and, and ideally those measures create an environment where those things don't, those infractions don't even happen at exactly. all, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about how, um, how we can engage with regulators, right? I mean, there's still, there's still so many open-ended parts of this industry, so many questions. 
And one of the things Dominique really stressed was that they really want our input. They really want industry people's input. Um, they're making a conscious effort to sort of take the conversation to people these days. So they understand not everyone can be in Denver um, or the Front Range area. And so they've, they've already uh, done gone to Alamosa, Alamosa and Durango, I think, um, and they're actively working on sort of some new technology to to increase the uh, communication, I guess, with... Totally. And what's beautiful about the Enforcement Division is that they're making it so that anybody can participate. There's forms online that are available on their website um, that allow you to outline a certain regulation, comment on it. When new laws are um, proposed, they have a 15-day commentary period for everyone to kind of submit their opinions on the way that it's written or what's going to transpire. Um, there's ways to email inquiries if there's just something that you need a specific question answered. Um, there's things called position statements that can be submitted through your legal teams that will gain uh, allow clarity to be gained around surround uh, excuse me certain regulations. So they're they're working with us and they definitely want to be sure that the information is there and it's provided. So you know beyond that there's user groups for say things like the state tracking system. Um, you know just lots of ways to participate. Participate. And even beyond that, on the city-county level as well, you can go to city council meetings, you can go and you can propose these things to any of your local legislators. I mean, it's a conversation worth having, and especially if you have some insight because you're living it, you're encouraged to share. The reason I'm where I am is because I was calling Metric when it was first implemented mm -hmm. and saying, you know, you should add this new transfer button instead of this, you should add a template mm -hmm. because we're having to do this over and over. And then they started responding, and mm -hmm. so it's a really beautiful thing to see that they actually listen and that they are willing to, you know, have forward motion. But the thing too with that is that you don't want to just come to them with problems and overwhelm them. Mm -hmm. You want to say, "Here's a problem, and here's what we would, you know, yeah. propose." Right. Be the yeah. Solution. Dominique even mentioned they're open to to literally suggesting language for some of these regulations. So. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And yeah. then you get your industry bulletins and everybody gets clarity. And, <laughs> and that's the thing, too, is the more people making noise, like generally we all kind of have the same issues, especially mm -hmm. because cultivating cannabis is cultivating cannabis. So if we find something wrong with the process that's being put in place that's hindering us from doing our job, we're all collectively going to be able to come together and say, hey, this is going to be easier. So interesting. All right. So um we're, get, we're getting close to the end here, but we, I want to talk a little bit about what 2019 might look like. Um, so I think the big news is there's a new administration in Colorado, right? We've got a new governor, Jared Polis. Yes. Yay. <laughs> um, and uh, he's he's been traditionally very pro-cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, so we anticipate, I guess, good things. Well, cannabis. and having some great and educated representation on a federal level mm -hmm. as well. And I think that, you know, the more people that come online that are representing us as a state, representing us as a community, it's going to help. Um, I mean, the one thing that really interested me is one state that is in the South, I'm trying to think of which one it was, one of the senators um, had cancer, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and chose to smoke joints over it. And so now he is advocating for cannabis, which is huge because mm -hmm. when you think the state, you think very conservative, you think very anti-cannabis. Um, so for that to be on the horizon, mm -hmm. I think that it certainly means for some forward thinking, at least on the federal level. So cool. we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Um, and then specific to Colorado, you know, there were definitely some things that have come up I think in the last year that they're going to tackle mm -hmm. some consumption lounges. They just opened the second in Denver. 
Um, and then I know we have one of our uh, mm-hmm. Canopy alumni as well, The Grove, that's going to be launching soon. So look out for consumption spaces. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, if you guys go back a couple episodes, um, probably early January, maybe late December, something like that, um, we have an episode, an interview with uh, John Moore from The Grove, who talks a little bit about social consumption in Colorado, if you're interested in social consumption. Um, and then home delivery is the other area. That'll be huge, especially for homebound medical patients and people who want to consume responsibly and don't want to be, you know, bopping around and having to pick things up, especially if they've already consumed that day. So I think that there's a lot of people who are extremely intelligent about their consumption and, and that is reflected in the way that things have been slowly launched here in Colorado specifically because I know California they're pretty ahead of the curve in terms of consumption same with Nevada that's potentially going to be one of the bigger things for mm-hmm. them um, but then you know we've got here in Colorado we've been kind of put, getting our toes wet a little bit and now we're finally full-fledged into making some things happen on a grander scale yeah and then I think the, the last thing that I'm looking forward to in 2019 in Colorado is um, and Dominique mentioned this as well that they're really looking at sort of the opportunities for publicly traded companies um, investing in cannabis companies here in Colorado which was a piece of legislation that got vetoed last year by Governor Hickenlooper. My understanding was the veto was around just like some language issues in in that um, legislation. And so it'll be interesting to see if they revamp that and what that looks like um, and and hopefully open that up for Colorado business. Totally, and I think that that, it's the perfect timing because the enforcement division has really um, gotten a great idea of how they're tracking outside investments into companies. There's permitted economic interests now. There's just a multitude of ways um, to kind of get around the um, residency laws as well mm-hmm. because that's another restriction. A lot of places don't want people who aren't from or have been living and generating revenue for the state um, in terms of taxes to participate. So it'll mm-hmm. be really exciting to get some outside money into the state and to these businesses and really see what they can do and where they can go from here. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that's it. That's kind of that's our wrap on our recap of Dominique's keynote address. If you weren't able to make it to Jumpstart, if you were able to make it to Jumpstart, I'd love to know what you think of our recap. Send us a note, info at canfeeboulder.com, or you can find us um, on social media at canfeeboulder. And uh, let's see what else. Kate, if you want to learn more about Kate and Azara, you should check that out. Azara.io is, and we'll link to that in the description as well. Um, and then just a little shameless plug for Canopy here. If you're an entrepreneur and you are starting up in this space and you have an ancillary product or service company um, and or CBD and hemp company, uh, check us out. We are accepting applications for investment and for our spring accelerator cohort, which will be our only accelerator cohort this year. So now's the time do it now or wait till 2020 um kate thank you so much for joining us thank you Celia. thanks everybody see you next time now for the disclaimers uh, please do not take any information from the canopy boulder podcast or its guests as investment advice Be sure to contact your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. So thank you for listening and please join us for another Canopy Boulder podcast episode coming to you soon.